Welcome to the Do More Podcast, where we share strategies and tips for improving your life in every aspect. Here's your host, John Farling. All right, welcome back to the show. Today I have a special guest that I've been trying to get on the show for at least three years. And uh, he literally just texted me five minutes ago and said, hey, I've got some time. So uh, we're fitting them in. Uh, Stratton Brown, welcome to the show. Why don't you uh, tell everybody about, about who you are, what you're doing? Bro, thank you so much for having me on. My name's Stratton Brown. I guess I could say I'm, I'm an entrepreneur. Um, we own some storage. We're looking to buy more. Uh, we do some other small stuff in real estate. And then we have some other like service-based businesses. Cool. And I want to unpack all that. Um, but I know I know a little bit of background. I know you played college football. I want to get into that. I like talking kind of mindset, identity stuff. We'll see where that goes. But, okay. um, I, you know, I kind of – I don't want to say we have a similar path, but I played a little bit of college and it basketball, and it affected my life. So I want to hear <laughs> – so you played at Fresno State, right? Yeah, I played at Fresno State. So I'm just pulling up something so I can write stuff down. Yeah, I played at Fresno State um, from 14 to 17. Man, you're young. Um, what position? Safety and corner. Okay. And you had the you played like you were good, and you had the opportunity to at least try out in the NFL, right? Yeah. I mean, I was good because I worked hard. I wouldn't say like I'm a freakish athlete because there was a lot of people who are more athletic than me at the same position. I just had to work harder so I could understand the game more so I could put myself in the right positions. And then that was like back when you could kind of just like throw your body at shit and get the job done, you know? And so I was like, I'm just going to hit harder than everybody else. I'm not that fast. I'm okay. Smarts. If I absolutely work my ass off. And so like I watched more film and then I knew like when I got there, people were going to know I was there and I was going to fuck someone up. And that's really the only reason I was, good at football like my senior year, I was 17th in the country in tackles and had a bad neck if i didn't hurt my neck i probably would have been in like the top 10 top five honestly because like i was like olaying people <laughs> let's say like three quarters of the way through because every time someone would touch me i'd get a stinger oh man and so it, it got really really bad to where like i had like a heat pack on all the time and then by the end of it i had a sports hernia and a bad neck so i'd get like a toradol shot in my ass and take some pain pills and go out and play it's crazy. So w when did you realize that you had to outwork everybody and it didn't just come natural? Um, I'd say a pretty young age. Like elementary, I, I mean, middle kind of, school? The way I was raised, I would say like middle school is when it really started like bear fruit. To where, and I guess we're a little bit of psychopaths, but like me and my best friend, I lived with him on and off growing up, like in middle school. We would watch like Walter Payton videos at like 13 years old, 14 years old. And then we'd go do like workouts for hours. Mm. Just trying to be like Walter Payton, right? Because like we saw how hard he worked and like, so it wasn't, it wasn't hard work. It was just what had to be done. You know what I'm saying? It was like, this is what the greats do. So this is what we have to do if we want to be great. And so it didn't really look like hard work. It was the standard that was held at like both of our family's houses. Both of our parents were entrepreneurs. Mm. Um, and so like really when I was 15, 15, 16, me and six other boys all kind of moved into the same house and played football. And we lived in my best friend's dad's house. And they own a really good construction company. 
And so like the standard that was set for hard work there, if we were up at 5 a.m., we'd get our asses chewed out because we were lazy, <laughs> right? Because And we weren't washing the boat in time or we didn't do, I remember like power washing this like 20,000 square foot shop. And he comes out and he's like, it's fucking terrible. Do it again. And I was like, oh my God. And this is like 16 where I thought I had like hard work down, but then like you get into the perfectionism. But it was really, I would say, early teens where it became just kind of a natural thing due to environment and somehow being exposed to like Walter Payton and my best friend's brother was just a mediocre dude, you know, like he, as far as an athlete, but he worked really hard to be good. And so he rubbed off on him and then that's what we emulated. Yeah. So what was that jump like? So before you were 13, before you started watching Walter Payton and doing two or three hour workouts as, as a teenager, uh, what, where were you at on the totem pole on your team? And then what it looked like after, you know, just obviously at that age, no one else is working, right? Like you and I both know they're going to practice. They're going home. They're playing video games. sounds like you were different. When did that transition shift? Um, Shit started to get real in eighth grade when I had high school coaches come into my house Mm. to like come and talk to me. And like before that, when I was, let's say 12, up until 12 years old, I was playing lineman. Right. So like I was, cause I was just like a bigger kid. And so I'd like play line and tight end and D end. And then I'd say like 12 years old, I like started to play running back. I'm like, oh, wow, the black kid's fast. He should probably get the ball. And that's like when I would say, I mean, before that, bro, there was not really a lot of consciousness. You know, I don't even think before I was 18, before I like started dropping acid, I really thought, you know what I'm saying? Like there was, there's no conscious thoughts going. You're just living according to the way everyone else is telling you to live and the way everyone else is molding you. Mm. And I'd guess hard work came from wanting to be good at skateboarding too, because before I wanted to play football, I wanted to be like a pro skateboarder. And so I would just be skateboarding for hours. Like, that's just what I would do because I have that, like, obsessive personality. Mm-hmm. So I remember, and bless my mom's heart, she would take me and my best friend Sebastian to go do, like, all these stair sets. And she'd stay there for hours and just watch us get our faces kicked in, trying to clear, like, a six stair. <laughs> and just going over and over and over and over and for hours. Then we'd actually do it. And then we'd leave, and she'd just be on the phone working the whole time. Where like that kind of shows like the dedication of my mom when she worked two jobs, ran her own company, and was department chair at a university, and mm-hmm. still found time to like show that to where all I saw was man, my mom's just working all the time, but she would always take us to different places. And so I think it's hard work isn't hard work when you're obsessive too. You know, like when you're just like I really want to get good at this one thing. To where even now I work a lot, but I don't really have hobbies because I like what I. I wouldn't say. I, I love what I do, but I like building shit, mm-hmm. you know, and like doing things to where that's like my hobby. I, I can't really, if I go snowboarding now, like, yeah, like a half day is good, but I'd like to go do some other stuff again. Yep. Yep. Um, so how do you, how do you harness? Cause I, I, I agree. Like you said a lot of great things there being obsessive is, and I know like people like Grant Cardone talk about that to become great. Um, but how do you harness that? How do you not let it control you and take over with everything in your life? Um, I don't let it take over everything in your life. 
and I I listen I'd taken a ton of Hormozy content. Mm. And so you're gonna hear a bunch of things that he said that like I've taken in my life and applied yeah. to where like is it a problem or is it a dichotomy that needs to be managed? Mm. You know, so like if it's not a problem, whatever, this is my life, it's just the way it's gonna be. And so I just don't really play video games anymore because I get super obsessed. Yeah. And so I kind of like cut it out. Because I'm I had this video game on my phone and I deleted it at the beginning of the year and I fucking maxed that thing out. What game? Um it was called Survivor IO. Okay. And for whatever reason, like I was just going hard on it, bro. And I was like, Stratton, what are you doing? I was like, just one more thing. I'm gonna get this next thing, this next thing. So I cut that out. And then I think getting real with yourself with your priorities and what's important to you. Right. And so now as I get older, it really is just like, bro, the only there's not a whole ton of time in the day. And so it's really like family and work. And then I have like this big ass calendar up here and I have planned out other things where I want to go do with like my friends and family for like two days. But I, I would say just getting super intentional and sitting down and knowing what is actually valuable to you and then being very aware of how you get obsessive. I went and golfed Pebble Beach on Sunday. Mm. And I was terrible, but I was like, bro, I don't want to pick up golf because I know myself and it's just going to turn into a fucking another thing. Yep. And so I was like, I'm just not going to do it because I know I'm just going to lose a bunch of time. Yep. No, that's awesome. I um, I want to dive into a lot of that stuff, but intentionality seems to be a common thread. Like it, it's especially the more I'm doing the show, the more I like to analyze um, successful people and intentionality is it seems like the biggest thing, right? Even if you're lazy, like intentionality seems like the one common thread that everyone's successful in anything has, right? And that doesn't have to be that you're you're writing your goals down every day, but for whatever reason, there's something drawing you to this and you're just intentional about it. Um, I mean, that's huge. So you, you've, you've got somewhat of an obsessive personality, but now you know, as you've gotten older, where to harness it to. And you're able to cut out things, even if, you know, you picked up a video game on your phone that sounds like you're obsessed for a little bit, but you're like, I got to turn this off. This it took a while, me. too. Like, it, it wasn't like a, I was born on heroin, so I'm very, like, I don't do, I've never done narcotics. Mm. You know, because, like, I know my mom had massive, my mom died in her sleep high a couple years ago. Mm. And so, like, I'm very aware of, hey, don't do these things that show a trend of creating addiction. Like I'm careful with my gambling because mm -hmm. I think that would be the worst one. One of my friends spends like $20,000 a month gambling. He makes crazy good money, but he just goes hard all the time betting on like Korean women's basketball at 2am. You know <laughs> what I'm saying? To where he's a fucking fiend to where I'm very aware of that. Like I'm, I don't really drink as much because when I drink, I want to go fucking hard, bro. That's why me and Ian bond because like I just like to go hard. Ian likes mm -hmm. to go hard. Yep. And so now I'm very cognizant of how I drink because when I was traveling a lot for work, bro, I'd, I'd go on like three day benders. Yep. Right. Because you got to go take people out. You're gonna do this and do that. And so like I'm just drinking for three days straight, and then afterwards I feel like shit. Or maybe one night I get too drunk and I say something stupid. So now I'm cognizant of my drinking and who I drink with, just because I know my personality type and what I I just want to rage. And so it's just identifying all those things. And I think this is just getting older and knowing yourself. I don't think and how don't you think, handle things. I, and I don't want to cut you off, but I don't think it is just getting older because there's a lot of people 
and a lot of the population that have issues, I don't say issues, but have things that are stopping them from doing more and they're not stopping them. You're, you're intentional. You're finding the things and that's what successful people do, right? We've all got vices or whatever you want to call it. But at some point we realize that we're like, Oh, we got to cut this off. Yeah. Like certain things become a problem. And I would say the the hardest part for me is like getting a, being a good significant other with Kalani. And then being mm-hmm. like a good dad, because if I had a choice, I'd just be in front of my laptop. Yeah. You know, like I'd just be on my laptop or on my phone and kind of just doing my own thing. And as you age, this is a very unpopular opinion, but I tell most people not to have children if they want to be an entrepreneur, because you have to learn if you could be a single man with no children, that would reduce the complexity of your life by two thirds. Because mm-hmm. for me, when you are becoming a father or becoming a husband or a good boyfriend, that is two other skills that you should probably become world-class at. Yep. And so you need to take all that in and it adds a lot more complexity to your life, let alone you have a fucking baby mama. You know what I'm saying? And then another family, it just creates so much more that you need to get really good at. To where for, for most young men, I tell you, like, hey, don't have kids, don't have a girlfriend. If you do have a girlfriend, hopefully she's all on board and amazing at Kalani is and just stay focused and get after it. And then eventually when the hard work is done, now you can go kind of enjoy your fruits of your labor and spend time with your family. Cause I don't want to be a bad dad and it, you know what I'm saying? It's another dichotomy you have to manage to where like sometimes like, Hey, I just can't be around or other times you're around a little bit more. Yep. Well, yeah. And, and you're, you're kind of talking balance and there's no, like you said, especially if you're young and you want to be an entrepreneur, like you can't, there's no such thing as balance. There's no such thing as balance anyway. No. Right. Um, no, that's such great stuff, man. We got deep here really quick. Um, I want to get back to your, your story and we'll keep diving into things like this, but, um, so fast forward, high school football player, I'm assuming you were recruited out of college. Um, I wasn't my senior. Year, I broke my ankle. In like game two, tackling my best friend who played for the other team to win the game. And he ended up going to BYU and then Utah. And I didn't get any offers besides like double A offers because like my tape was like me hobbling down the field my senior year. Yeah. And so I, w- I had a full did, ride. Did you still I had have like before a, that, did you still have a good high school career? I was okay. I knew I was D1. I saw the kids who were getting scholarships and was like, they're not better than me. And so I got that goes into like betting on myself. And I went to snow college because I had a scholarship in three different sports at a full ride and track. I had as much of a full ride as I could get in rugby. And then I had like a two third scholarship in football and then one like full tuition in football into like Weber State and Southern Utah University. Then I had a full ride to a junior college. And I, and I was eligible out of high school to go D1. And so I was like, whatever, I'll just bet on myself and transfer out in a semester. And that's what I did. That's awesome. So skateboarding, rugby, football, track. Um, how did you juggle all those? I didn't know you played all those sports. How did you juggle all that? Especially as an obsessive personality, how did you juggle all that? Um, how did I? I mean, I just go from like one sport to another. I quit playing. I only played like two or three years of organized basketball. But I was on USA's junior national rugby team hmm. from like – 14 or 15 till I was like 17. Wow. And so 
basketball was there and I wasn't really good. And I saw the amount of skill I'd have to develop to like actually be good. Cause I think basketball is very, very skilled people. Yeah. They're really good athletes, but dribbling a ball for me is fucking hard you, to like really like put someone in a blender is hard. And so I was like, all right, I only played center in like junior jazz basketball, right? Like the rec league basketball growing up. I had no guard skills. I'm like five eleven. There's no future in this. No. Right. And all my friends quit playing it except like one of them. And so I was like, eh, I'm just not going to do it. And uh, at that time we travel a lot around the country for rugby. And so I just ended up playing rugby and it really just go from thing to thing to thing. I, I didn't feel like it was juggling because like, yeah, I got to go to rugby practice. Then I have to go to track practice. And that's what I do in the springtime. Cause like, what else was I going to do? Mm-hmm. I, I would honestly just be getting in trouble, you know, cause all high school boys who have high testosterone want to do is get with girls and do drugs. And that, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And so like, it was keeping me and my friends out of trouble. And my parents weren't really going to have me stop playing sports. And I knew where, how I, where I wanted to go. I was like, I really want to go like D1 was like the goal. I wasn't thinking about the NFL. I was like, I really just want to go D1. I want to be that guy. Mm-hmm. And so the football stuff was fine. And then all we would do in the off season, whenever I wasn't in like track or rugby is we would work out and then we'd go work for my friend's dad's company or for my dad's company. And that's like, all I did was just work out and work. And then at nights we got to go hang out with like girls and go do party stuff or whatever and be degenerates. But it wasn't really like a balance thing. It was just kind of life because all my all my friends did the same thing, right? Yeah. My best friend played baseball, basketball, and then he did football. My other friends played rugby, and then they did football. My other friends, like, so we'd all have all these things going on. So I don't really think it was a juggle. And with my son and our children moving forward, I'm going to have them playing as many sports as possible and in as many clubs. So you can get, like, used, number one, life is going to be really hard. And so you need to be able to handle a significant amount of stress and anxiety and pressure. Yep. And so if you're used to like going from one thing to another thing, like, Oh man, I got to perform here. That'll pay off later on in life. It may feel like a bitch in high school, but life doesn't get easier when you graduate. It just gets harder. Yep. yep. And so I, I wouldn't say it was like a balancing thing. It was just life. Yeah. No, no, that makes sense. Um, so you end up at Fresno Freshman year, like, where are you? Are you bottom of the totem pole? Oh, bro, I was super bottom of the totem pole. Um, I hurt my knee, but I really couldn't grasp the defense. Our defensive playbook was, like, this big. Yeah. And I really struggled with it. And, like, so my one of my coaches was Ricky Manning. He played for the Bears. And he was like, bro, this is the most compl- – he went to, like, two – I think he won two Super Bowls. Or he went to two Super Bowls. But I was close with him, and I was close with my D coordinator my senior year. And Ricky actually just got the DB job at the Raiders. I texted him the other day. And um, he was like, Strat, this is the most complex playbook I've ever seen. And I really struggled with it. And so my first two years, it was hard for me to grasp the defense because there was so much going on. And I feel like I'm a decently smart guy, but it just didn't work for me. And so then my senior, I hurt my knee both years. And so I didn't get a ton of playing time. And I didn't really grasp the defense. They like tried to put me in at nickel and I just didn't get it. Mm. And then my senior year, a defensive coordinator came in from South Carolina. He'd put out like nine or 11 first round draft picks at DB. His name was um, Lorenzo Ward. Mm. And so he comes in and I'm 
And he just dumbed it down. He was like, bro, I have to get five-star athletes who are freshmen on the field day one. You need to not think you need to play. So we're going to dumb this down. And so that's where like, I thrived because like, I was like, okay, I know this entire playbook front to back. I can tell the D linemen where to go. I can tell the linebackers where to go. I know exactly what set we're going to go into when I get any type of motion. And so that's what really helped me take off my senior year because I saw everything through and through and I could see what an offense was going to do. Like when they ran a certain place that I'd watched enough film, like, okay, it's this formation. It's this down and distance. I got like five different plays are going to run. Okay. As soon as something happens, I can go to it and react and go. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that's how I got good at football was just like a ton of film study and knowing my defense and knowing what everyone else is doing and be able to like, okay, he's going to go here. He's going to go here. All right, I'm going to be right here. I know they like this play. All right, I'm going to go make that. Right. And so, like, you can break it down and you get a little bit more cerebral. And people think football players are a bunch of jocks. If you're like a pro football player and you're good, there's a lot of fucking horsepower up there, especially in the league with how, like, how if you're playing the Niners, bro, with all of those motions and okay, they're going to get you into one set, then they're going to move you into another set. Depending on like the type of defense you run, you're checking into three different defenses during that pre that pre-snap right and so you get used to a lot like business now i see it like you get used to seeing the offense and the defense like in your head like mechanically because it Mm -hmm. it all works in motion right it all just moves together and so that's when football really started to take off for me but at fresno state i worked my ass off for two years and i got no love and then my senior year i finally got some love Fresno State was still like another grind because even in high school, they everyone's like, you're just fast. And so like I wanted to like beef up and get really good there and like add like hands to it because I couldn't really catch. And there was like my other like my best friend, Francis, he went to the Cowboys. My other best friend, Tawenny, he ended up going to Idaho. My best friend, Bra- our other best friend, Brady, went to Utah State. I went to Fresno State. Albert got an offer to Stanford. BJ went and played like NAI- NIL. NAIA, I mean, so we had like all these people around and they were all more athletic than me. Mm. And so like, I felt like I just had to work hard to just even prove that like I could hang. You know what I'm saying? Like they could jump higher than me. That pissed me off. So I'd be doing fucking hundreds of calf, calf raises in a day until I could jump higher than them. And then the same thing applied at Fresno State to where when I first got there, I didn't even want friends. I was like, bro, I'm here to work. And I remember the first weekend I got there. I went to go do footwork and I was like, is anybody doing footwork on a Saturday? And nobody was doing it to where when I came from snow, well, we all had like one goal. We could only one meal a day because that's all we could afford. It was me and four other dudes in an apartment. We pulled all our money together. We had one dude who would cook for us. He'd make the instant pasta. And if we didn't have any food, we'd make Kool-Aid and have a Kool-Aid night. And that's what it was. And we'd still go do footwork every day for hours. We'd still go do drills and one-on-ones every day for hours. Cause like we had that vision and goal of where we wanted to go. And when I got to Fresno state, I saw that everybody was okay with just being there. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like that it, I was like, man, everybody's going to like be like wanting to get to the league and everything else. Like, okay, I'm here to start. I want to be all conference. I want to win the Jim Thorpe. And I guess that's just kind of the way I'm wired to where I'm like driven. And I got there and even, the best players weren't necessarily like grinders. I got there right after Devonte, and I didn't get to see like Tay's work ethic, but like Duran was so good. He'd be doing work. 
footwork sometimes on Saturdays, but he was just so fucking talented. He didn't need to. He led the country in picks like two years in a row. No. To where that wasn't me. And I was like just trying to work up because, again, I wasn't as fast as everybody. I was pretty skinny. I struggled with the defense. And so I knew I had to just be putting in more film, grinding my ass off, getting my footwork better. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like it, it's stacking um, intentionality and just reps. Right. It takes and a lot really of like that's that's success. Like it's not you don't have to over overcomplicate things. Right. It's just intentionality. You knew you you knew what you wanted to do and you just got more reps in. Yeah. I mean, my senior year, it really took off because again, I felt like I was truly focused. Like workouts were never an issue for me. I'd always come first. I'd always be trying my best. And then in college football, there is one thing that I think is really special to where. We were like, we were going to party. My senior year, we were like 1-11. and And we lost a ton of games by like a point. But like it was during the summertime, we just lived off because we had no money. Like at a D1, like Fresno State, there's not a, no matter what anybody says and everybody bitches about NIL, kids aren't making money and you're getting this degree from a pretty lackluster school. Right? So like during the summertime, we'd party and drink. And that was... We'd go drink as hard as we could, and then it was like, who can finish first in the workouts, too? Yep. And then you're going to watch as much film as you can and do as much film study as you can in between there. Yep. Um, so fast forward a little bit. End of your college career, what happens? Um, I was talking to – so my defensive coordinator was legitimately like, almost like my dad that year. I was with him every day, like coming up with like schemes – like really watching film and spending as much time with him as I could. Cause I was like, he's put it out so many first round draft picks mm. and he was a better person. My other D coordinator who I thought was a piece of shit. Right. And so like, I, I wanted to be around him so I could learn more and be better. And I remember having a conversation with him and he was like the only dude who I trusted. I was like, coach, like, where do you honestly dude? Like, I want to make it the league. Where do you think I'm at? You, You've coached at the highest level. Like he coached Davian Clowney, Melvin Gordon. Um, he was there with Lamar. He put out a first round draft pick when he was at Louisville a couple of years ago. He coached D'Angelo Hall. Like he's put out dogs. And he was like, Strat, to be real with you, bro, you're the guy who's going to make it happen, but you're going to be a practice squad special teams dude. Mm. And this is the only time. I didn't take it as a chip on my shoulder because I knew it came from like love and caring, you know, and it's, it's really, really hard to do that because like I've always taken it as a chip on my shoulder, but at the same time, you need to be realistic with yourself when it comes to sports. Cause I still have dudes who are like chasing the dream and like, there's no need to be chasing that dream, bro. (laughs) Like you, there's other ways to make money. Yep. And so when I tried out for the Seahawks, like I told you, bro, I had a bad neck. I just had surgery for my sports hernia. I was nowhere. I was already like not the fastest to begin with. Right. And then I'm trying to bounce back from a sports hernia in like three months when it, they tell me it takes a year. And so I got to Seattle and I really didn't. If you were good enough, they would have like picked you up. Like mm-hmm. just plain and simple. Their goal is to make money and find like diamonds in the rough. If they thought you were a Hall of Famer and someone missed out on you, they would have picked you up. Like, that's just the honest truth. There is no other, like, oh, yeah, there's politics in the league. But if you're a free agent, and let's, like, just say Brock Purdy. Like, oh, no, we got a dog. Like, they saw the talent. 
like we're going to keep him. And so I didn't force their hand to pick me up, right? I I didn't make the plays I needed to. I wasn't picking up the defense fast enough. And so that, I mean, it's a very cold reality that you need to come to terms with. And when they, when I went to Seattle, they drafted three other DBs. It was like Delano Hill, uh, I think Mike Tyson, and then Shaq. Shaq's brother's the dude with like no arm. And yep. Shaq ended up being a pro bowler. And fucking like Delano Hill, bro, he was 6'3", 220, 230, and he ran a 4'3", and he played the same position. You know what I'm saying? Like, how am I going to? Come on, bro. I was what? I was 6'1", 6'2". I, at that point, bro, I was running a fucking 4'8", 4'9", because I was still recovering. And I weighed 200 pounds. Hmm. No amount four, of film studies going to make a 4'8". What's your fastest 4'8"? Not to get off topic, but... Like 4'4". Four, four. Okay. Which is fast. Which is fast. But I mean, bro, I broke my ankle. On, when I broke my ankle in high school, I lost, honestly, a lot of speed. I broke it pretty bad. Mm. But, I mean, I got there because of Ricky. That my DB coach, he was at Seattle. He was like, Strat, like, come on, I got you. Because it was like between there and the Jets and Green Bay. Maybe not even the Jets. It was so long ago. I know Green Bay was there, and I was talking to my agent, and Ricky called me like during the draft. He was like, Strat, I'm going to bring you up here, dude. And I was like, I I could have made a better decision, but I was like, I just want to go with Rick. I trust Ricky. I know if anything comes to it, like he'll go to bat for me. Yep. You know what I'm saying? And so I went there, and at that point, my girlfriend was pregnant. And, I mean, that was a bitch and a half. And so, like, she was pregnant, and... I started, we partied so much. And I, like I said, bro, I'm a degenerate. I like to go hard. And so I was like, bro. And I heard like about when Travis Kelsey was in the league, when he first got in there, my boys at the Chiefs. And he was like, bro, Travis blew an $80,000 signing bonus his first year just on partying. And I was like, so if I'm going to be in that environment, my thought process was I want to be. I want to live a lifestyle that nobody else has ever lived because I'm never going to have that chance again. And only thousands of people have ever had the opportunity. Mm. So I better learn how to invest my money to save myself for myself mm. was like my initial thought. I was like, cause I, I guarantee you I'm going to go hard and I'm going to outwork everybody. But like low key, like Michael Irvin, Michael Jordan, Dennis Rodman status. Like I'm just, you know, like we, they all have a dark side. If you read Tim Grover's relentless book, you'll see, like yep. see it. And so I was like, okay, I got to start reading books. And so as I was like training up, I was like reading like Dave Ramsey, Bigger Pockets, Grant Cardone, and really starting and like really like learning about investing because I thought I was going to be rich. And obviously I didn't make any money. Like I went and tried out for like a Canadian team afterwards and I didn't get picked up. And I was like, oh, fuck, like it's over. I didn't want to wait another year to have to go and get another shot and all it is is a shot there's nothing guaranteed you know and so i was like can i i can either do this or i can start a career and my goal was just to make as much money as i would in the nfl initially i just wanted to make like six figures mm -hmm. and so i like started a home inspection business i remember i found one on craigslist i was dead broke i'd had to go home and work for my dad so I started a home inspection business and I was like, Hey, if I do X amount of inspections, I'm gonna make like six figures this year. And that was just the goal. Yeah. So, so it sounds like, and, and I want to back up a little bit. Cause I, 
myself, my college roommates, um, two of my college roommates, they both played football. The one played football and basketball. I played basketball. And we talk about this. And I know I held on to the identity of basketball is my life for a while, right? And I played yeah. three sports in high school. Um, so I did some of this. Not say, I'm not on your level, but I did. You still have that juggling. And I don't know that. It's, basketball was still like an identity to me and it still oh, yeah. took till probably I, I started coaching. So after like, I didn't play my senior year in college cause I'm like, I'm done. I, I know nothing's coming after this. Um, I'm done. But then it kind of crept back in like two years after I'm like, what am I doing? Maybe I should coach basketball. Cause that was my identity, right? Basketball is mm-hmm. what I knew. And I kind of hung on to that for a little while till our first kid was born. Then for whatever reason, just like a light switch. It went off, and I'm like, I'm good with no more basketball, period. So it sounds like, to me, while you probably had some of that identity, it sounded like you were chasing money more than football. Is that right? I mean, when bills need to be paid, bills need to be paid. But like, I've, I for sure had an identity problem for a while. Mm. And I, get, I struggle with this now. Because mm. like I've... I'm thinking about making a really, really big choice again in like everything that we're doing. You're making a comeback. And you can try out for the for uh, <laughs> XFL. No, not at all. But like everything gets wrapped up in identity, right? And so like my identity thing was fuck, bro. Like identity and failure of not making it and like all that stuff was years. Yep. You know, and it's just another chip on your shoulder that you throw on, and you know that that's another thing that can help drive you in those dark times. But I, I would say I struggled with it for years, but at the same time, I still had to make money. But I just knew I knew I wasn't there. My body was beat up. And I knew the dudes who were there, and I could see the gap. Mm. And, and so you still have to be real with yourself. To where I had friends who, let's say, weren't as self-aware. Yep. And that can pay off really big. So there's a dude named DJ Reed who I played with at Fresno State. DJ was a walk-on with us at Fresno State. And our coaches told him he'd never play, didn't give him any time. And he, he was a dog. You know, like he could have been on scholarship. And so he says, okay, I'm going to go bet on myself. I'm going to go to Bakersfield Junior College. He's a two-time All-American at Bakersfield Junior College. Goes to Kansas State, is a two-time All-American at Kansas State. Gets drafted. And he just got paid a fucking bag by the Jets. And the biggest thing I can take away from that kid, I want to say it was ignorance and unrelenting confidence in himself. Mm-hmm. To where like you couldn't tell him shit. He was like, no, I'm, I'll fucking lock up Devontae right now. Where is he? I will hop on a plane. I'll go there. I'm going to walk on at Fresno State, but I'm that fucking guy. Yep. To where growing up, I would say the one thing that I hated is that my parents always told me to be humble. To where I think if you're going to be a high-performing anybody, you should not be humble. You need to be very aware of everything that's going on. And I'm humbled that I'm in a position and I can lose it all. But that has nothing to do with, like, humbleness. No. You need to think you are the fucking dog no matter what in anything that you are doing. And it needs to be backed up by the amount of work you're putting in. Because then it's not cockiness. It is just legitimate confidence. Of no, I have put in more reps. I have outworked anybody. And then you feel very confident in any situation you're going into to where most people don't have confidence. And so that's why they shit on people who are confident. Mm-hmm. 
right? And so with that, yeah, I'm I hate the word humble, and I get into these battles with these people who are religious, saying the meek will inherit the earth. And I was like, but I don't think Jesus was very in that term humble. Jesus was very confident with his message he was putting out into the world. He wasn't saying like, oh no, like other messages may be the same. If he was a true, let's say, leader and world-changing man, and he's the most popular person who's ever lived, he was devout at the message and very confident in the message he was spreading. Yep. And so I think in anything that you are doing, it needs to be the same way of you are devout, you are confident, and you are sure because that Bro, 99% of that is just being intentionally confident like with whatever you're doing and getting after it. Yep. Whether it is I'm going to be the best basketball coach or I'm confident in it. And confidence builds over time, right? It's not like you can just go in. I do think it's a talent to just be like, hey, I'm the fucking dog. I'm going to do it. Yep. Without in, And at the beginning, you low-key have to be that way without any proof besides your own self-belief because no one is going to believe in you. Yep. I know that was kind of a rant. No, that no, that's really good. No, I mean, it's and that, that's another thing that yeah, I didn't really, I forgot. Belief, like true belief in yourself, and whatever you're doing, right? And and I know I lack, I lack the same, I lack belief big time in sports, but for whatever reason, in entrepreneurship, real estate investing, like it's complete opposite. Like I don't lack belief there. Um, but no, that's interesting. Yeah, you're talking true belief in yourself compared to cockiness, right? There's a difference and. Cockiness is fake. We all know that, right? Cockiness is not real. That means you truly yeah. don't believe in yourself. Um, the people that truly believe in themselves, you're probably not hearing from them. Um, they're just the even if you are, are, and it comes off as a little bit arrogant. I would much rather have the arrogant person, yeah, who is aware. It's it's an, another one of those dichotomies, right? But like a, Tom Brady, we can name off like the greatest people on earth who have come along okay we got jesus we got all right who do i think is like epic deon sanders mike. tom brady elon musk mike everybody would say those people are, who mike mike tyson no mike jordan michael jordan come on oh man. yeah michael jordan like all these people who are steve jobs like if you no. look across like the business world religious world Whatever you want to take where it's people who are leaders who are like doing their thing. Yep. There is a cockiness there yep. that it comes across, but it is straight confidence. And there is no humbleness in the way that they portray themselves, but they are humble in the way that they know I could lose it all. If we slip up, something else could happen. And so it creates that sharpness in your mind to keep you moving forward. Mm. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. All right. So you bought a, uh, we'll go back to your story. You bought a home improvement or a home inspection business. How long were you doing that? And it sounds like you were doing the inspections yourself. Bro, I didn't, I did one mock inspection, went through a crawl space. And I say this when I do all these podcasts, I did one mock inspection on the rental house I was in. Um, and I was like, never fucking again. I was like, I'm not, I'm not doing this. So you and bought I, this business and then you I didn't buy it. I started, I paid like $500 to get registered on Craigslist. Oh, uh, I gotcha. And then like went through all these courses and there was a ton of work. I went and bought like all this. I still have all the gear. I had like all these knee pads and stuff I needed to do for like the home inspections and stuff. And at that time I've been going to a bunch of meetups and I met a dude named Alan and this 
this was my first, I want to say, like big paradigm shift in the business world to where he was like, yeah, a couple years ago, I was driving a tractor making 30 grand a year. Now I make $200,000 a month. And he's like, I'm not like one of those bitches on the internet. I'll show you the checks. And he just pulls out his phone and he starts scrolling. Mm-hmm. And he's like, and I'm, I'm going to buy a jet. And I'm, I'm trying to be like Grant Cardone. He was like, this is what I'm doing. And he was like the number one, one of the number one investors in our area at the time. And I didn't think much of it. And he gave me his number and we talked. And and then after that, like mock home inspection, I remember, I think we were down at like, I was just drinking with some friends and I just like hit him up. I was like, bro, what do you do? I was like, I, I want to do what you do. And so eventually I started knocking doors for him and then ended up working for him, running a lot of his day-to-day, did some really cool stuff with like building out a call center. And then I broke off on my own and like started doing wholesaling on my own, went dead broke. And yeah. So, so you started off, obviously one venture was one day. Um, but after that, it, it sounds like another part of your success is um, finding mentors and asking questions and, and networking with them. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, but I were, I knocked doors dusk till dawn so much that my pregnant girlfriend thought I was cheating on her. Cause like I just wake up and leave and go knock doors and I did it for free for him. Cause he was like, you got to get 300 no's. And so I was just going for 300 no's yeah. until I got a deal. And then we got another one and it, bro, he was only paying me like 1500 bucks a deal. And I wasn't making any money really at the whole time I was working for him, but I got an MBA in real estate. Cause mm-hmm. like we did apartments. I got to like, even one lesson that really stuck out to me and he probably doesn't even remember this. We were at, and me and my son were with him every day at this point. I'd take Zeno with me to the office. I ended up dropping out of college because I was in my classroom at school, rocking Zeno back and forth in the middle of the class. And at that point, I had a job doing what I wanted to do. Yeah, I was commission only, but I was like, I mean, I can take my son to work, but I can't really take my son to school. I was in Fresno, California by myself. His mom wasn't really around and we had no family and there was like no daycares. Mm -hmm. And so Zeno was with me. It was really me and Zeno against the world. And like, obviously Kalani was like helping around at that time, but we weren't dating or anything. We were just friends. And it was me and Zeno against the world for like the first two, three years of his life, bro. Mm -hmm. Like it was, it it got bad. Just bananas and rice. Me and Zeno, Zeno lived in my closet and I shared a, um, I had an apartment with me my friend Sumo and my friend Potts from college. And like, they're my two, two of my best friends in college and we all lived together. And so I, I was like, Hey, I want the master. I'll pay more so I can put Zeno in the walk-in closet. And so Zeno's crib was in the walk-in closet and it was him and the printer. And we still have that printer over there. And that printer was that kid's best fucking friend. <laughs> and it would so just why be, not, why'd you go down this road and not try to find W2? I didn't have any skills. I tried to get a job at Home Depot and they didn't hire me. And I was like, ah, fuck, okay. Like I, I didn't have, well, I didn't, I didn't see any other choices. I could go back home and work for my dad, but then that would pull me away from my son yeah. or pull me and my son away from his mom. I was like, I'm not trying to do that. And so this was the only avenue that I had that I thought I could I'll make something of myself. Like I, like, cause in football, 
I wanted to be the best and I wanted everybody to know I was the best too. Right. And so it's that ego that's involved in it to where if, unless you're an athlete, you don't really get right. Antoine Winfield the other day, he's a safety for the uh, Tampa Bay. Yep. He was pissed off because he didn't get voted into the pro bowl and he had a great stat line and he was still an all pro. But it, that, it wasn't about him being an all-pro. It's about him going to the fucking Pro Bowl because he's that guy. And he's the best at what he does. You know what I'm saying? It's that ego of it, of everybody knowing. Yep. And so I was like, well, I still want I still want to make something of myself. And I don't just want to be like a, I guess, like a regular person. And everyone around me growing up ran their own companies. Mm. And so I wasn't even really getting a job. Kalani told me how to get a job one time. And I remember getting so fucking angry at her. <laughs> And I got like a part-time job selling like franchise sales when I was living in that apartment. And I do that in the morning. And then after I'd get done doing that, I would cold call for wholesale or text for wholesale. And I just use all that funds to stay alive. And then I started like knocking doors for solar during that time. And that was just so I could have some money, go knock some doors, see if anybody's interested in selling. And really during that time, I I mean, I kind of had to just like lie, like, yeah, I want to do solar sales. But like, I was like, no, why would I go learn something new? I know this real estate stuff works. I don't want to work for someone else. If I already know, if I already spent two years learning this game, there's no point in me going and doing solar. Mm-hmm. And so I eventually we, when it, my first big deal, like I, cause I sold like at, when I first left that guy, I sold a deal for like five grand that helped me live for a couple months. I got a, part-time job that helped me live for a little while. I got that solar job that helped me live for a little while. And then this is, and for everybody who's like struggling, I got this, like a, that project three, six, nine book. I do think like manifestation visualization helps out a lot. It, um, the lowest point of that time, Zeno was down in Bakersfield with his mom and I had zero money to go get him. And so I had to call my mom for $20. I was like, mom, I need 20 bucks so I can get down to Zeno and Bax and pick them up from Bakersfield. It's like an hour and a half drive. I go and I pick them up and I ran out of gas. And so I had to call my mom again for another $20 so I could make it home. Mm. And then at that point, all means Zeno could afford was bananas and rice. Me and Kalani were still friends and like shit. Kalani would worked at Aldi. She had a really good job. And so she would bring me tons of baby food for him. Just tons of like all the all natural, like squeezable baby food for him. Mm-hmm. Because when I say like, that's all we ate was bananas, rice, and spam. And that mm-hmm. we'd wake up, eat, and I'd just take him everywhere with me. And then eventually, like when the solar stuff started, um, his mom had like come back into the picture a little bit more. And so she could take him when I was working or I'd have my roommates watch him. Hmm. It's crazy, man. It's wild. Um, I mean, I'm guessing some of that drives you too, especially right now. Right. That still drives you. That wasn't that long ago. Right. Um, you're younger. You're, you're still in your twenties, right? Are you early 28? 28. I'm 28. I've been in, I'd say business for like five to six years. Yeah. So, I mean, it wasn't too long ago. Yeah. Yeah. No, to me, that's not long ago at all, but I'm a decade older than you. Um, so sounds like you built your first call center. Um, and that's kind of what, what catapulted you 
How did you, and, and we're, I know you're tight on time. No, um, I mean, we can just keep going, bro. I'll be good. All right. How'd you, how'd you scale that? Uh, Cause obviously um, you learned that from your mentor, right? Um, and you saw so, there was money there. It sounds like. I learned like the wholesaling and real estate game from him. And at, at a point in time, we built out like an in-house call center mm. of like all these minimum wage people in Fresno, California with no teeth. And that was very, you know, like that was interesting because there was no one. Like, I mean, it, that was just interesting, dude. And so that's kind of where I learned it from. And this was when cold calling was getting big. I remember he got like a TLO membership and we were trying to figure it out and doing RVMs and stuff. But really looking back at it, I wasn't the guy to help him grow his company because I'm like on a PI personality index. I'm a maverick to where, and I was like the one running the show operationally. That's not me, bro. Like it's just not my personality type. I'm not super organized, but like we made it work, but it's just, it was not the right fit. And luckily we ended on good terms and I left and that's why I did like my first thing and where I got, comfortable with VAs. And then we started doing wholesaling. I didn't start call magicians until like COVID. Okay. And COVID is like when, and looking back at it, you know, you always have to be self-aware to where, yeah, we took it to a million dollars in 18 months, but like how much of that was like the COVID wave, mm-hmm. you know, because then we essentially winded the whole thing down. Me and my partner broke up and then I'm spinning it up again. And we won't do nearly that much. One of our other companies does, but we won't do a million dollars in 18 months with it. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? And so it's one thing I've learned is if you have momentum, really cling on to it no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. To where looking back at it, I wouldn't have started to wind it down. I would have just found a way to cut deeper on the employee side and then keep it's really hard to build a trusted brand. You know, and so like keep that trusted brand and then scale it up. But at the same time, I had to rebrand it because I think cold calling won't be around very long. We're already looking into like AI options mm-hmm. to go into. And so it's like, yeah, you could build it, but you're building a house on sand. No. No. Well, you're in other things now, right? You. It sounds like you have service businesses. You have yeah, uh, so rental real estate. What, what, uh, what service businesses you got? We have called? a marketing company that helps people get government tax credits Mm. right and then we have a just a va staffing company is what we pivoted that one to just because i was like call magicians really pigeonholes us in the cold calling and so i rebranded it as virtual help so we could just help place virtual assistants in any type of company Mm. operationally and anything else and that that has a less of a likelihood of being disrupted by ai because there's still going to need to be people doing things, communicating with other people. Mm-hmm. AI is a long ways away from replacing that. And so that's why I rebranded that. What's your, what's your roles in each company and from it's, they're all startups, right? So what's your role? Yes. How has that changed through each company from startup to now? For, we don't really even wholesale anymore. Now I've taken the approach of, I'd rather, just buy bigger deals mm. and kind of like raise the money for it. So like last year and this year, I need to get my deal flow up and I'm the analyzer and I'll help raise money with my partner. But like 
we had a 91 unit portfolio of a mixture of single families, a trailer park and small multifamilies that we were looking at mm-hmm. that ended up falling out at the end of last year. And then right at the beginning of the year, I was pissed off about this one. We were looking at like a 55 house unit portfolio that ended up falling out. Mm-hmm. And so with that, when we're doing our real estate stuff, I'm really just on the acquisition side. Kalani runs all of our day-to-day in storage. Like I'm really, I know at a high level what's going on, but she's like really in the weeds. Mm-hmm. And then I raise the money and I talk to the investors in the virtual help company. I guess I'm CEO in sales. And then in the, at our government tax credit company, I'm just CEO. I don't really do much. Like I'll handle like sales trainings, but that one's a full company that's built out that I'm not necessarily super involved in. We've had to make some pivots, so I've been diving back into it. But I'm not necessarily involved in the day-to-day of that one. How do you how do you juggle all that? I mean, this is probably back to your same answers in high school, but how do you how do you juggle all those? If there's a fire over here, do you just go that way? Or do you have a set um, schedule? It's like, this is what I do. I'm working on this company from now to now, or how's that look? Now I'm working on cutting things out of my life Mm. because I feel like I've done too many things and I want to be able to do something for 10 years and have a very large exit is the goal. Mm -hmm. And so that's why I've been like, okay, I don't want to do a bunch of like flipping houses and anything else because there's like no equity building there. You know, like it's not valuable. You make a lot of money, but it's not necessarily valuable. So if I do it, it has to be in a way that's not capital intensive and I can use it to pay my bills. But I want, I'd rather just use real estate for what it is. And so if we keep buying storage and Kalani runs that, I really don't need to, she's smarter than I am. So it's not like I really have fires. And then if there is something we made it, make a decision on, if it's one of them where we have a partner on it, like we'll hop on a call and just say, Hey, what's going on here? If not, Kalani makes most of the decisions and then we'll talk about it in the government tax credit one. I feel like I have good, I mean, it's, it's really good team members, bro. I would say, I mean, I think leadership is the most important skill you could have as an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So hiring on really good people, even when we grew call magicians to like a million dollars in 18 months, we had a really good team at that point to allowed me to not be involved in really any of the day-to-day operations. And it was just selling, but like I wasn't involved in really anything. So it's, finding really good team members and putting them in place and letting them work and having a really good vision. I would Mm -hmm. say it gets harder to have a good vision for things that is meaningful as you add on more things to the plate. Mm. And so that's another reason why it's like, well, we don't need to take on all these things. It's okay to just leave blank space. And then eventually when the opportunity is right, as long as like bills are getting paid and you know what you want to do, then you go after that big thing and you commit. Right, so that that's kind of how I'm balancing that dichotomy now to where the virtual help stuff helps us make money. The tax credit agency helps us make money. The self-storage stuff is automated. My rentals are automated. And then any real estate stuff that comes inbound is um, it's just inbound and it's pretty easy. And then we have our brand stuff and that's, again, just team. Yeah. Well, you've got a meetup too, like a really large meetup, right? Yeah. And I mean, now we, we're we throwing a huge event in April. Love to have you there. How Come many people? Guest. How many people? Um, 
we'll have like 400 people there. Nice. That's the goal. Like our, our one the other day, bro, we had like 250 people at that meetup with like a line around the door. That that's one crazy. was pretty cool. But so I mean, that's like another. A, like a Rhea. What's the meetup look like? Yeah, it's like a Rhea, but we run it. You know, it's not like anything from. What do I say? It's not run by any other organization besides just us and our brands pushing it forward. Yep. And but then again, it's another it's a whole nother thing to where we've had to like hire on like a team member to help with it. Mm. We gotta organize shit. And to where if you're not making you make money from it, just not directly. And then again, it's more conversations. Do you need this in your life? Yep. So like right now, yeah, I'd say I need it in my life, but I need to find in order for it to be worth my while, it needs to a very clear vision of yep. why it's worth it being in my life. Yep. And so yep. I'd say if anybody's like me and you're an entrepreneur and you get all these shiny objects, less is more. And I mean, it's all growth too, right? Because I was, I thought I could, I thought wholesaling was the answer, but then I got exposed to these other, other dudes doing significantly more in revenue and everything that they were doing and having these massive exits and like looking at business a different way to where now if that is not the vehicle that's going to get me to my goals, it's not really what I want to operate in. Mm-hmm. And so, and then it, that's what gives you that identity crisis. Cause you're a real estate guy, right? Yeah. You know, I'm saying like, Oh no, I'm a real estate guy. This is what I do to in all reality. Like, bro, no one else's opinions matter. You are just an entrepreneur. Go do your thing. And nothing else really matters. Yep. Yep. Well, at some point too, you got to, I think there's more people. I think there's less people in that boat. Like you're just an action taker, right? There's less people in that boat and there's more people that would rather overeducate, ask too many questions and not take action. You'd rather take action and then look back and say, okay, I'm, I've got my hands and too many baskets here. I got to get rid of the bottom 20% or whatever. You'd rather be in that boat. Yeah, I would I would for sure rather be in that boat than like not taking any action. Yep. But I, again, it's like growth to where and as a dude who's always doing like some type of deals, you feel like a piece of shit not doing more deals. <laughs> but it's okay to have like blank space in your life yep. as you are gearing up and ramping up for the next big thing you want to go into. Yeah. Mm, that's good. Actually, we'll probably uh we'll try to wrap up there. So I got I got one question. Typical like podcast question. What's your your biggest strength that you're better at than everybody else? What is my biggest strength? It can be two or three. Um, I don't really have any like good strengths. I would say I just go out and I take action. Yeah. You know, and then like, Hey, we can go out and just build as fast as humanly possible. And I'm okay with the failures and everything else and dealing with it. I don't, I don't know. I don't really have any crazy good strengths. I'd say besides like leadership and that, I think you, I can you lead say that. Look, it's funny when I ask this question, there's some people that, that answer and whether they're, Telling the truth or not, who knows? Um, but it's funny, like after going through this, like I could tell you what, and it's probably not just one, but what, like at least top three for you, working hard slash being obsessed, 
right? Like that's obviously one. Um, and you're not afraid to put yourself out there, right? And yeah, that all that kind you. of kind of um, goes into taking action. But yeah, man, you're not afraid to put yourself out there. You'll find mentors. You're at, you'll ask questions. You'll ask the right questions. And like the the dude you learn wholesaling from, it's not like you just wanted to take take take, right? Obviously, you went to work for him, and then at that point, he was getting you were getting a ton of value, but he was getting value too. Yeah. Um, so you did it the right way. Yeah. I mean, I guess my number one skill that I would say people have told me is I ha- I ask really good questions. Yep. I ask really good questions of whenever I get my a chance to talk to someone who I want to. For whatever reason, the way my brain works, I'm like, oh, well, what about this? What about this? What about this? And if I know exactly what they do, I can tailor my questions to pull out all of their expertise. Yep. And that just helps me apply it to whatever I want to do. Yep. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. Well, being inquisitive, right? You're definitely an inquisitive person. You want to learn so. more. You want to ask questions. You want to, yeah. All right, man. This is awesome. This is, uh, we got deep really quick. This was good. We probably could have gone another hour, but uh, I know you got a tight, you've got 17 businesses over there you got to take care of. Uh, if anybody wants to reach out to you, have questions, just connect. How can they find you? Um, on Instagram is probably the best place at Strat Daddy. My Facebook is Stratton Brown. I'm the only black guy named Stratton, so it's pretty easy to find. Um, we have our big Deal Champs event on April 19th and 20th of me and my friend Dean Rogers, my other friend Jason Pritchard. Ian's going to be speaking there. That'll be awesome. Then if you need any virtual assistance for your company, go to virtualhelp.io, and we'd love to help you out. Even if it is storage, we can help you on that side too. Awesome. Awesome, man. Awesome. Well, again, appreciate you coming on. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. Thanks for following, subscribing, and listening to this episode of the Do More podcast hosted by John Farling. To learn more or ask questions, go to l4investing.com.